said in Matthew 28 verse 19, Go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Welcome to Go Teach All Nations, bringing you Christ's teachings through Australian and international speakers. And here is today's presenter, Tony Rikers. The title of our lecture this morning is entitled Bowing to Babylon. Our lecture this morning really revolves around Daniel chapter 3. We're going to study Daniel chapter 3 this morning. But our study this morning really starts back in Daniel chapter 2. In Daniel chapter 2, we find good old King Nebuchadnezzar, he has a dream, he has a vision given from God of the great metal man, the metal image of Daniel chapter 2. On the screen, you'll notice some video animation of this, this vision, this dream that Nebuchadnezzar had. In that dream, he saw this great metal image. The Bible tells us that this metal image had a head of fine gold. As we went down the image, we found the image has chest and arms of silver. It has a belly and a thighs of brass, and its legs were made of iron. As it went down from the legs of iron to the feet, we found the feet were made of iron and clay. And as Nebuchadnezzar watched in his dream, he saw this stone that was cut out without hands. It came out of nowhere, smote the image, ground the image to powder, and that powder was blown away on the, on the wind like the chaff of a summer threshing floor. And then eventually this great stone became a great mountain which filled the whole earth. This was the vision that Nebuchadnezzar saw. Daniel interpreted that vision for Nebuchadnezzar by the power of God and the wisdom of God, And in the interpretation, he told King Nebuchadnezzar that these different metals represented different world empires. He said to King Nebuchadnezzar, Thou art the head of gold. And after the head of gold, there was another empire, another empire, and another empire. And we discover, for those who have studied this chapter before, those different empires are Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome, and the feet of iron and clay was the divided nations of the world. That's what God told Daniel to tell Nebuchadnezzar. Here is a prophecy of the outline of the history of the kingdoms of this world. But Nebuchadnezzar was told by Daniel, Thou art the head of gold. Now, Nebuchadnezzar was a proud man. He was excited that he was the head of gold, but he now realized that his kingdom would not last forever. There would be another kingdom and another kingdom. And he wasn't too excited. He wanted his kingdom to last forever. So what Nebuchadnezzar does is he tries to reinterpret this prophecy of Daniel chapter 2. You see, friends, we find in Daniel chapter 3 that Nebuchadnezzar actually makes the same image he saw in his dream in Daniel chapter 2, but he doesn't make it with just the head of gold. He makes the entire image out of gold. It was a way of saying to God, I'm going to reinterpret the prophecy. You've told me there'll be different world empires. I'm telling you there'll be one world empire. It will be my world empire. And in Daniel chapter 3, we find that fantastic story of the image on the plain of Jura and the world having to worship. Nebuchadnezzar, he makes a great image, all of gold. He calls the entire kingdom, the entire world, as it were, to come and worship the golden image that he has set up on the plains of Jura. To give people incentive, he tells them that they're all going to worship, and for those who would not like to worship, he tells them there will be a death decree for those who will not worship. Now, the Bible tells us there in Daniel chapter 3 that the whole world worshipped the image except for three young 
Hebrew men, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. And because they would not bow down to the image that the king had set up, the Bible tells us that the king threw them into a fiery furnace. But the Bible tells us that God delivers them from the burning fiery furnace. Now, people often look at this chapter and this particular story and they say, wow, what, a, what an incredible children's story. But friends, this is much more than a story for children. This chapter, Daniel chapter 3, is actually a type of the people of God at the end of time. Right down in the days in which you and I are living, we are going to find out this morning in our study that we will be going through a similar situation as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego went through. The whole story of Daniel chapter 3 is really just a type of what God's people go through right at the end of time. It's a story of what you and I will find ourselves going through in the very near future. Yeah, the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11, it says, Now all these things happened unto them for examples. And they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. What we find in the Old Testament scriptures of the Bible, all these different children's stories we often think that they are, are actually written for examples for you and I. They are types of what will take place for those who have come to the ends of the world. That's you and I, friends. They're an example of what will take place in our day. The Old Testament is full of types and shadows in these different stories. And this story of the three worthies in the fiery furnace has many similarities to what the book of Revelation is telling us God's people will go through at the end of time. And this morning, I want to spend some time going through and comparing Daniel chapter 3 and the experience of the three worthies in the fiery furnace and comparing how that is exactly what the end time people of God will be going through at the end of time. And I've discovered in my studies that there is 16, 16 similarities between the people of God and Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego's experience that we are going to find this morning will take place in our life. And this morning I want to go through Daniel 3 and Revelation and different parts of the, of the Bible dealing with the end time experience of God's people and show how the experience of both is similar and draw some lessons that we can learn from the history of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The first thing you notice if you go to the book of Daniel chapter 3, when you go to the book of Daniel chapter 3, the first point that we notice, which is similar to the day in which we live, which is the system of Babylon is in control. On the screen you'll notice our first point there. Our first point is Babylon. Notice Daniel chapter 3 verse 1. The Bible reads, Nebuchadnezzar, the king, made an image of gold. He set it up in the plain of Jura in the province of what? Babylon. You see, friends, King Nebuchadnezzar, he was king of what? He was a king of Babylon. The system involved in Daniel chapter 3 is the system of Babylon. But, friends, when you and I go now to God's end time people, we find they are going to be challenged by a system called Babylon. Notice once again here on the screen. Revelation 17, verse 5, God's end-time people will face Babylon. And upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. Here we see in Daniel's time, in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's time, Babylon is the system. God's people at the end of time face a system called Babylon. Exactly the same similarity there. Our second point is this. Point number two, made an image. 
Daniel chapter 3, verse 1, notice the verse again. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was three score cubits and the breadth thereof six cubits. Here's Nebuchadnezzar and he makes an image of gold. We have the system of Babylon involved and we have an image that has now been formed. But friends, when you and I get to God's end time people in the book of Revelation, we find there is an image that has been made as well. Notice Revelation 13 verse 14. Saying to them that dwell on the earth, that they should make an image to the beast which had the wound by a sword and did live. Here we find God's end time people face an image exactly as it was on the plains of Jura way back there in Daniel chapter 3. So there's an image at the end of time as well as an image in Daniel chapter 3. Now there's something very interesting about the image in Daniel chapter 3. And that's the size of the image. Let's look again at Daniel chapter 3 and verse 1. Notice this verse again. Nebuchadnezzar, the king made an image of gold, whose height was three score cubits, and the breadth thereof six cubits. Notice now with me, friends, the dimension of this image. The Bible says the height thereof was what? Three score cubits, and the breadth was six cubits. If we look at this now, we find the height of this image, three score cubits, of course, a score is 20, so three 20s is 60. The height of this image was 60 cubits by six cubits by six cubits. We have 60 by six by six. And friends, when you and I get to the book of Revelation, we find a number very, very similar to this. In Revelation chapter 13 and verse 18, the Bible talks about the beast It has a number, and notice what the Bible says. Revelation 13, verse 18. His number is 603 score and 6, or in other words, 666. So here we have this image in Daniel chapter 3, 60 by 6 by 6, and the number of the beast in Revelation chapter 13, verse 18, is 666. It's very similar, isn't it? Now, I'm not really quite sure what the uh, significance of that point really is, to be honest with you. But there's a similarity there again. It's the same system of Babylon. Isn't that right? But anyway, friends, the point is this. This image was an incredible image, wasn't it? It was 60 cubits high. Now, 60 cubits is around about 27 meters in height. So this this incredible image of solid gold was made, and it was about 27 meters in height. Now, friends, can you imagine when this image was set up on the plains of Jura? as the people were called from all the nations to come and worship this image, as they saw this image in the distance, it would have been an incredible sight. I can picture the people coming to the plains of Jura where you could see that image from miles and miles with the sun glistening off the side of that image. It would have been a magnificent sight, friends. It would have captivated your senses. And friends, the first thing that Satan wants to do in this world is to captivate our senses. You know, I look at some of the old the old uh, ruins of, of uh, Egypt, like the pyramids and the, and the Sphinx and some of these incredible temples in these places, these old ruins of the ancient world, and they captivate your imagination and your senses, don't they? I look at the pyramids of Egypt and I think it's just incredible. It fascinates you. It sort of captivates your senses, and that's exactly what took place on the plains of Jura. The people's minds were captivated, their senses were captivated by the viewing, now notice this point, by the viewing of a Babylonian image. 
Their minds were captivated. I want you to open your Bible just for a moment because we find something interesting here. Go to Revelation chapter 17. Revelation chapter 17, we find here that the image in Daniel chapter 3 captivated their senses, but the Babylonian imagery in the book of Revelation also captivated the senses of John the Revelator as he was viewing this in vision. Notice with me this very interesting point here. Revelation chapter 17, looking at verse 6 and 7. Notice these words. And I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints. This is talking about mystery, Babylon the great, the mother of harlots, this system of Babylon. Verse 6 says, And I saw the woman, Babylon, drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. Here's John. He sees this system, this system of Babylon, the falsehood of it all. But when he sees this system, the Bible says here, and when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. You see, friends, his senses were captivated as they were on the plains of Jura. Even the senses of John the Revelator, as he saw this system, he wondered with great admiration. Notice what verse 7 says now. And the angel said unto me, Wherefore did thou marvel? I can just picture the angel, he's John seeing this in vision, and he's wondering at this, this woman, wondering at Babylon. His senses are being captivated, and the angel comes and rebukes him and says, John, wh- what are you marveling at here? This is the false system. Shake yourself out of this stupor, John. Write down what I'm telling you here, but don't get captivated by Babylon. But you see, friends, here on the plains of Jura. The people's minds were captivated. They saw that image, that incredible image of gold, and it helped to prepare them to worship that image. And you know, friends, today Satan is inundating the world. He's inundating our minds with Babylonian imagery designed to captivate our senses. People don't realize it today, but the minds of many are being captivated by the viewing of Babylonian imagery. There's a deeper point to this I'm trying to bring out this morning, friends. And that deeper point is this. The question I ask you this morning is this. Is there something in your life that you are watching that is inundating you with Babylonian imagery that is holding you spellbound? Could there be something in our lives right now today that is captivating our minds, inundating our minds with Babylonian imagery that's going to hold us spellbound as they were on the plains of Jura and prepare us and motivate us and help us to end up worshipping the image? Could there be something in your life this morning, friends? How about things like television, things like movies, DVDs, computers, internet? You know, friends, I believe today the minds of people are being filled with Babylonian imagery. Their minds are being captivated. They're being filled with the philosophy, the morals, the attitudes of Babylon through movies, television, television, books, magazines, internet. These are powerful mediums to program the mind, aren't they? And on the plains of Jura, they were captivated. Their senses were captivated. And it helped to program them to the position when the world was told to worship, it was very easy to worship. You know, friends, the most dangerous thing in our world today is television, movies, DVDs, etc. Four Testimonies 653 tells us this. There is no influence in our land more powerful to poison the imagination, to destroy religious impressions, and to blunt 
the relish for the tranquil pleasures and sober realities of life than theatrical amusements. Friends, the the prophet of the Lord is telling us this morning, there is no influence in our land more powerful to poison our imagination, to destroy the religious impressions that God is trying to bring into our life, to blunt the relish for the tranquil pleasures and the sober realities of life than the theatrical amusements. And of course, back in the days of the writing of that statement, there was no such thing as a television or DVDs. But friends, today it's the same principle. Our, our minds and our, our understanding are being saturated with the imagery of Babylon. And by beholding, we eventually become changed. You know, the book, The Great Controversy, tells us in page 555, it tells us something very important that we must understand as Christians. It says, It is a law, both of the intellectual and the spiritual nature, that by beholding we become changed. The mind, notice these words, friends. It says here that the mind gradually adapts itself to the subjects upon which it is allowed to dwell. And friends, if we are allowing our minds to be saturated with Babylon, as it were, and the imagery of Babylon, the mind will be gradually adapting itself to the subjects upon which it's allowed to dwell. Friends, there's a danger here. If we are allowing ourselves to continually view the imagery of Babylon, we will become changed into the likeness of Babylon. And friends, today, the world and many in God's church as well have their minds slowly being captivated by the image and the imagery of Babylon. And by beholding, we are becoming changed. We get back to our story here of Daniel chapter 3. We have our next point. Our next point is all commanded to worship. Yeah, Daniel chapter 3 verses 4 and 5 says this. It says, Then and herald cried aloud, To you it is commanded, O people, nations, and languages, that at what time you hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king hath set up. Here we find the image has been set up, their minds, have, their senses have been captivated, and the command goes forward, when you hear the music, you're all to bow down and worship. There was a command to worship, wasn't there? In Revelation chapter 3 now, with God's end time people, we find there's a command also to worship. Revelation 3 verse 4, notice the words. And they worshipped the beast. Verse 8. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him. Verse 11. And causes the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast. Verse 15. Worship the image of the beast. All the way to Revelation 13, it worship, 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 worship. As it was in the, uh, the plains of Jura, so will it be, friends, at the end of time. There will be a command to worship. And the whole issue, friends, in Daniel 3, and at the end of time, it all revolves around worship. Will you worship God, or will you worship the gods of this world? Now, to help them make a choice, to help the world make a choice here, Satan through Nebuchadnezzar, provided a little bit of incentive for people to bow down and worship. This brings us to point number four, and point number four is death decree. Daniel 3, verse 6, the Bible says, And whoso falleth not down and worshippeth, shall the same hour be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. So here's, here's some incentive for the world to worship. Nebuchadnezzar adds, yes, you're going to have to worship, but if you decide not to, you're all going to go into the fiery furnace. A bit of incentive for people to worship. 
Of course, if we go to God's end time people now, we discover also there will be a a death decree at the end of time. Revelation 13 verse 15. And causes that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. Should be killed. A death decree in Daniel's in um, Daniel chapter three's time, and of course at the end of time there will be a death decree as well. Now Satan likes to get us to worship him and his system, not by forcing us. He likes just to make our own choice. He will use force as a last resort, but he would rather us choose to follow the system of Babylon by ourselves. Now, he has just captivated the senses and the minds of the people by this magnificent golden image. But he also uses something else to captivate the minds of the people and prepare them to worship. And this brings us to point number five, which is music. In Daniel chapter 3, verses, uh, verse 5 and 6, we find that music was used as a motivating tool, as a manipulating tool to get the people to worship. Notice Daniel 3 verse 5. It goes on and says this, that at what time you hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music, you fall down and worship the golden image. So that on the plains of Jura they were told, when you hear the music, dulcimer, sackbut, all kinds of music, when you hear the music, then you will Bow down and you will worship. We find in Revelation something very interesting. It it, uh, indicates to us in the book of Revelation that the great system of Babylon is going to use music at the end of time to help people to worship. Notice Revelation chapter 18 verses 21 and 22. Now this is talking about the destruction of Babylon. It's talking about the end of what will happen to Babylon. Notice the words here, Revelation 18, 21 and 22. And a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and cast it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence shall that great city Babylon be thrown down and shall be found no more at all. So Babylon's going to be destroyed. There'll be no Babylon found anymore. With destruction, it will be thrown down. Now, when it's destroyed, notice the very first thing it mentions that will be destroyed with it in verse 22. And the voice of harpers and musicians and of pipers and of trumpeters shall be heard no more at all in thee. It indicates that this great system of Babylon, one of the main points of its system is the music. And when it's destroyed, the music will be destroyed with it. You know, friends, on the plains of Jura, Satan used music to sway the feelings and the emotions of the people in preparation to worship the image. Is it possible today, my friends, is it possible today that the world and the Christian world at large are being manipulated by the power of music in preparation to worship the beast and the image of the beast? Could that be a possibility in our world today? You know, it's interesting in Daniel chapter 3 and verse 5 there, it said that there was all kinds of music. It emphasizes the point that a tremendous effort went into the music. Why? Because Satan knows the power of music. Can Satan affect you and I with the power of music today? Can music affect us today? Some will say, no, music cannot affect us. Some people say to me, well, listen, Tony, this is not right. Music is neutral. Music can't affect us. Is that true, friends? I would ask you this question on that point. 
The question is this. Look at the world and ask yourself the question, why is the world so vastly different today than what it was 50 years ago? Why is it so different today than what it was 50 years ago, friends? I'll give you one of the reasons what I believe. It's because of the power of music. Music, my friends, is not something that is neutral, but it is powerful to sway and change the feelings and the emotions of people and to get them to change. You look at our world in the last 50 years since rock music, so-called, came into this world. This world has changed dramatically. And ultimately, friends, the reality is, whether you like it or not, it is the power of music that has facilitated that change. Notice what these ancient philosophers had to say about the power of music. For changing people's manners and altering their customs, there is nothing better than music. Now, friends, these are ancient philosophers, so-called. They're not so much in the Christian world here, but they were the wise men of the world. They understood the power of music. This one just told us, for changing people's manners and altering their customs, there is nothing better than music. Friends, music has power, doesn't it? This one here, Bothius, Roman philosopher, he said, music is a part of us and either ennobles or degrades our behavior. There's another one here, Confucius, one we've all heard of before. If you would know if a people are well governed and if its laws are good or bad, He says, examine the music that it practices. There's one more here from Socrates. This one is a, I think is an incredible statement when you tie it into Daniel chapter three with the power of music being used to get the people to worship. He says this, when modes of music change, the fundamental laws of the state always change with them. Friends, today, These ancient philosophers are telling us today that music has a power to change, affect the minds of the people. What about the music of today? In the last 50 years, music's taken a real different form, hasn't it? The power of rock music. What about the rock music of our world today? Does it affect our mind? Now, one of the greatest, one of the so-called greatest guitarists of all times was Jimi Hendrix. Now, Jimi Hendrix said this back in 1969 in the Life magazine. Notice what he said about the power of music. He knew he was manipulating the minds of people. Notice what he said here on the screen. He said atmospheres are going to come through music because music is a spiritual thing of its own. You can hypnotize people with the music and when you get people at their weakest point, You can preach into the subconscious what you want to say. Friends, the musicians of our day know full well the power of music. They full well now know what Jimi Hendrix was saying is the truth. You can hypnotize with the power of music and then preach into the subconscious, he said, what you want to say. And the power of music, my friends, today is hypnotizing millions of people and what the subconscious is being told is being told, prepare to worship. Prepare to worship as it was on the plains of Jura. You know, friends, I know the power of music myself. I've been to the rock concerts in my past days before I was a Christian, at, at least. And we go into this massive rock concert one time, seeing my favorite bands there. And the power of the music to, 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 to change that crowd of young people. We were right up the front of this rock concert, right up at the front of the stage. And friends, when they played the different songs, 
The heavier songs would put us into a frenzy. The quieter songs would calm us down. And I can remember there was one song that was played there by one of my favorite bands at the time. The song was called The Devil Inside. And friends, when that song was being played, I remember thinking back now as I look back, everybody around me was just going crazy like they were possessed. There was one guy that was next to me there. He had some sort of lunch bag. I don't know where he got it from. He brought some food with him. He started pulling all his food out of his lunch bag and heaving it across the, across the stage that the singers and across the people. People were just going crazy. Friends, they were manipulated by the power of that music. Notice what Messages to Young People has to say about music. 295. Music is the idol which many professed Christians worship. Is that true in our world today, friends? Many people, my friends, today go to church primarily because of the music, which tells you who are they worshipping. They're worshipping music. Music is the idol which many professed Christians worship. Satan has no objection to music if he can make that a channel through which to gain access to the minds of the youth. goes on. He works through the means which will exert the strongest influence to hold the largest numbers in a pleasing infatuation while they are paralyzed by his power. When turned to good account, music is a blessing, but it is often made one of Satan's most attractive agencies to ensnare souls. And I believe today, friends, I am convinced today that it is the most attractive agency that Satan is using to ensnare souls, to hypnotize their minds, to change their philosophies, to change their morals, to change their thinking, and prepare them to worship the image of the beast. That is the world that we are living in right now today, friends. But now what really is the attack against in Daniel and Revelation? In Daniel chapter 3, what was the attack really against? Point 6, the attack is against the law of God. Here we find Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, they're brought before the image, they're commanded to worship, they're brought to a dilemma. Because they know the Bible tells us in Exodus 20 verses 4 and 5, Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image, or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the waters under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. Here they are told to worship the image, and they know the commandment of God is don't worship images, don't make images. The issue here is will they obey the commandments of God or will they obey the commandments of man, ultimately, which is Satan working through man. You know, in Revelation chapter 14, God's end time people will be faced with the same dilemma. The attack will be against the law of God. Revelation 14 verse 12 says, Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. God points to his people at the end of time and says they are the ones that keep the commandments of God. Why are they pointed to and told that they are the ones that keep the commandments of God? Because the rest of the world will be breaking God's commandments. In Daniel chapter 2, they were challenged with breaking the second commandment of God. At the end of time, you and I are going to be challenged and forced to break the fourth commandment of God. The issue, my friends, is all about the law of God versus the law of man. What do most of the world now do when the command goes forward to worship the image on the plains of Jura? What did most of the world do? This brings us to point number seven. Most bow and worship. 
most bow and worship. Daniel 3 verse 7 says, Therefore at that time all the people, the nations and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Here we find that the majority of the world there, except for the three of them of course, they bowed and they worshipped. What about God's end time people and the challenge in the last days? For point seven, most bow and worship. Revelation 13 verse 8. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Here we find, as it was in the plains of Jura, the world bowed down. So it will be at the end of time, the Bible says, and all that dwell upon the earth shall worship. The entire world shall worship. You know, friends, the greatest test that you and I will face as God's people, the greatest test will be to stand alone. We are naturally prone as human beings to want to fit in with the crowd, to fit in with the world. And can you imagine how Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego felt when the entire world around them bowed and they were still standing? It would have been an overwhelming desire. Let's just bow down with the rest. We don't want to be different. And friends, that same pull will challenge you and I in the future. Five Testimonies, page 136, tells us to stand in defense of truth and righteousness when the majority forsake us, to fight the battle of the Lord when champions are few. This will be our test. Many of us are like Peter. You know, Peter, before Jesus Christ was was dragged away to his trial, Peter said, I'll die with you. I'll go all the way, Jesus. But when Peter was with the group that were all together, they all believed the same thing. He had courage, didn't he? But when Jesus was taken down to the judgment hall, Peter snuck down there, didn't he? He tried to mingle with the worldlings and, and pretend he didn't know Jesus. And he ended up denying his Lord and Savior. Three times he denied his Lord and the last time with cursing and with swearing. Friends, you and I will be challenged to stand alone. And we must learn to have the strength of an individual, not the crowd mentality. And this brings us to our next point now. Our next point is a very sad point. Point number eight, many Jews bowed. On the plains of Jura, we find that Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego stood erect and firm. But the sad part, friends, is they weren't the only Jews on the plains of Jura. Notice Daniel chapter 3 verse 12 now. It says this, There are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not regarded thee. They serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Of course, as soon as, as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't bow down, there were spies and they saw them. They race over to the king and they say, This is the king. They said, King, there are certain Jews. And when the Bible says, friends, that there are certain Jews, what is that implying? It's implying that there were other Jews there that were bowing down. Isn't that right? Others were bowing. The certain, the word certain Jews tells us, in other words, many of the Jews worship, but these three did not. And so it will be also at the end of time. You know, in Revelation chapter 3, verses 9 and 11, we find an interesting verse of scripture here talking about God's church, his people at the end of time. And some of those people in the church at the end of time will believe they are Christians, but they are not. Notice here, Revelation 3 verse 9. It says, Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews, 
and are not, but do lie, behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet, and to know that I have loved thee. Verse 11, Behold, I come quickly, hold fast that which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. Here the Bible's telling us at the end of time, just before Jesus comes, he comes quickly. Before he comes, there's people that are calling themselves Jews or Christians, that God says they're not Jews, they're liars. As it was on the plains of Jura, friends, there was many Jews there. Many of God's people were called with the rest of the world, but they proved themselves to be, selves to be false disciples because they bowed when the three young worthies stood. Just as it was, friends, on the plains of Jura, hundreds worshipped. So will it be in the future. Hundreds will apostatize, we are told, and join the ranks of the enemy and worship. Selected Messages, page 368, says this, When the law of God is made void, the church will be sifted by fiery trials, and a larger portion than we now anticipate will give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Instead of being strengthened when brought into straight places, many prove that they are not living branches of the true vine. Friends, we are to learn to stand firm for God today. Now, the big question is this. This is the big question. Why? Why did all the other Jews bow down and worship the image and Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego not bow down? I want you to open your Bibles again tonight, today. Open your Bibles as we look at the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1. And notice what takes place here in Daniel chapter 1, because we're going to find here the reason why they didn't bow on the plains of Jura is because of the preparation and the choices that they made prior to that in their life. When they first got to Babylon, we find a powerful verse of Scripture here that prepared them to stand for God. Daniel chapter 1, verse 8, the Bible says, But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. When they got to Babylon, the king's table was there. They were allowed to eat from the king's table. But Daniel, plus Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they purposed in their hearts not to defile themselves with the king's food and his wine. And they asked the prince of the eunuchs, Melzar, could they have pulse and water and to test them for 10 days, prove them that they would be stronger and wiser and healthier. They were given their request. And after the 10 days, notice what verse 15 says now. And at the end of 10 days, their countenances appeared fairer and fatter in flesh. Notice these words. Then all the children which did eat the portion of the king's meat. Did you catch those words, friends? They appeared fairer and fatter compared to who? All the children that ate the king's meat. You see, friends, there was hundreds of captives brought to Babylon. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, they were the ones that purposed in their hearts not to defile themselves with the king's food or wine. But the rest of the children ate the king's food and drank the king's wine. And after 10 days, you could tell the difference between the four and the rest. You see, friends, the reason why Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood on the plains of Jura and they would not worship that image is because of the decision that they made when they first got to Babylon. Their decision was that they purposed in their heart, in their life, that they would not defile themselves 
to begin with, with the king's food and the king's wine. You see, friends, their decisions on the plain of Jura wasn't the decision of a moment. It was the outworking of a principle that was in their life. It started, that principle started with what they ate and what they drank. They rejected the diet of Babylon, friends. What was the diet of Babylon? The diet of Babylon was basically junk food, wasn't it? The king's table, even though it was a, uh, the rich man's table, they decided that they would choose a vegetarian diet and have water other than the king's table. You see, friends, what goes into our body affects the spiritual decisions that we make. Isn't that right? All the other Jews bowed on the plains of Judah. They bowed because they were eating from the king's table. How is it with you today, friend? How is it with me? Are you and I eating from the king's table uh, or are you and I eating from God's table? Because what we're eating today and drinking today will affect the decisions we make in the future when we are commanded to worship. Are you conforming to the world or are you conforming to the image of Christ? You know, the book, The Great Controversy, in page 608 tells us this. It says, as the storm approaches, a large class who have professed faith in the third angel's message, but have not been sanctified through obedience to the truth, abandon their position and join the ranks of opposition. By uniting with the world and partaking of its spirit, they have come to view matters in nearly the same light. And when the test is brought, they are prepared to choose the easy popular side. How is it with you and I today, friends? This statement is telling you and I, as the storm approaches, as the pressure is put on us at the end of time to worship those who have not been sanctified by obedience to the truth, they will abandon their position, they will join the ranks of opposition, they will bow to the image, in other words. And the reason why it will take place, we are told, is because by uniting with the world and partaking of the world's spirit, they've come to view matters in nearly the same light. Yeah, friends, we are seeing a world today where God's people are conforming to the world. They're conforming to Babylon. And what's going to take place in the future is because they're becoming more and more like the world, we will bow when the pressure is brought on. You know, today, friends, my heart is deeply burdened as I see many of our people, many of God's people conforming to the world in dress, in their adornment, in their speech, in their diet, in their music, in their entertainment, in their pleasure-seeking, in their money-making. Have you and I this morning, friends, have we determined in our hearts right now today not to defile ourselves with Babylon? Or are you and I going to be like the other children who conformed slowly to Babylon until the test came and they all bowed and they all worshipped? Making that decision today, friends, will determine what your choice will be in the future. But God will have a people. Our point number nine is that there was a remnant standing firm for God's law. Daniel 3 verse 12. There are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. There were certain Jews, wasn't there? It was that small remnant that did not bow down and worship. There were three of them. And so will it be at the end of time, friends. God will have a remnant people at the end of time that will not bow down and worship. Revelation chapter 12 verse 17 calls it the remnant church. 
Revelation 15, verse 2. The Bible says, And I saw them that had gotten the victory over the beast and over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name stand on the sea of glass, having the harps of God. God sees this victory group, the remnant that will not worship the beast and his image. He will have a remnant. So here we have a remnant people of God standing for the truth. On the plains of Jura, there's three of them, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. There is a remnant church there, isn't there? So what does the king do? What does the king do? He finds out they're still standing. He tries, point number 10, to persuade them. Daniel 3, verse 14 and 15. It says, Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, do ye not serve my gods? nor worship the golden image which I have set up. Now, if ye be ready, that at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the image which I have set up well. What is taking place here, he says, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, I like you boys. I should be throwing you straight into the fire as an example, but I'm trying to encourage you. Come on, boys. You're spoiling the whole show. I'm having mercy on you. I'm giving you another chance. Let's be united here. You are causing disunity in the empire. For the good of the nation and the world peace, please just bow down and worship. And friends, at the end of time, we are going to find persuasion brought on to the people of God as well. We shall be persuaded. Come on, guys, get together here. This is for the good of the world. This is going to be a, a universal persuasion. And the first part of that persuasion will be encouragement. But if we don't get encouraged to bow down and worship, the second phase of that persuasion is Revelation 13, verse 17. And that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here we can see a universal persuasion. Come on, guys. Come on, let's get together here for the sake of the world and world prosperity and for the good of mankind. Just obey the commandment. Just come on and let's just worship. We're putting a bit of pressure on you now, a bit of persuasion. You can't buy and sell if you don't. And along with that universal persuasion will come personal persuasion. Great Controversy 607 tells us about the personal persuasion. It says some will be offered positions of influence and others rewards and advantage as inducements to renounce their faith. Persuasion will be used as it was on the plains of Jura. You know, friends, at this point, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, they have an opportunity, don't they, to escape the punishment. What do they do with their escape opportunity? To be continued. This message was made available by Cornerstone Ministries. For more resources like this, visit cornerstoneshop.com.au. Candace Bergman will now sing, We Will Stand.
Hi, I'm Marilyn, the two-tip lady, who loves to help make your life more simple. Have you ever been alone? Lonely and even scared? One day I stood alone, alone on the platform of a tiny deserted country railway station. Alone, but not lonely. Gently falling rain kept me company. The loud speaker with its canned voice announcing when the next thunderous train would race through kept me company. A lone frog croaking its joy at the unexpected rain kept me company. And my thoughts kept me company. Flooding through my mind were memories from what seems like another lifetime many years ago. We were developing a home out of raw, untouched and magnificent rainforest. We had four-wheel drive problems. So out of the forest that was a long way from anywhere hiked my security. Dear husband was off to get help, on foot. Oh no, when would he return? We had no idea. More, oh noes. The forest seemed strangely silent without dear husband. Just three little girls and me. Alone we were, alone. Night fell all too soon. Lonely? Oh yes we were. Showers of sparks from our fire lit up our landscape while we sang songs to bolster our courage. Three little girls and I. We kept heaving more dried leafy branches onto the fire to give bright brilliant flashes of light in our clearing because the light kept my courage alight. But finally tired little girls aged nine, seven and two needed sleep. So off we went to our cold, dark tent at the bottom of a trail in the ancient forest, alone. But were we? Prayers for divine protection prayed, the girls drifted into trusting sleep. And then it was that I felt really alone, all alone, until, croak, croak, a frog was croaking in our water tank. Oh, such a welcome, comforting sound. All was right in his world and his croaking comforted me. Who'd have dreamed a frog would be a comforting friend on a dark night? I slept fitfully until the girl's pet rooster decided to welcome the dawn long before I could see the daybreak. All was right in our rooster's world and his cock-a-doodle-doing comforted me. Who'd have dreamed that a rooster would be a comforting friend through a long, dark night? It was six days before dear husband was able to return with the needed parts. Six long days and six long nights. But in that time, I learned to love the owls hooting in the night, the frogs croaking and the rooster crowing, all is well, and a kind heavenly father who grew a certain peace in my heart while we waited for the cooey that announced Ken's eagerly awaited return. But that's another story. If you're alone... You can listen for the sounds of nature too and you will be surprisingly comforted. So my two simple tips today are simple but comforting when we're alone. Tip number one, here it is. Listen for the reassuring sounds of nature. The sun rises and sets, the birds awaken and sleep. Darkness comes but the stars sparkle and the moon smiles comfortingly. Nature sings, all is well. And tip number two is the most reassuring of all. You'll have to wait for it. Because Jesus said to his disciples, Behold, the hour cometh, yea, is now come, 
that ye shall be scattered, every man to his own, and shall leave me alone. And yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. So here's tip number two now. When we think we're alone, remember Jesus' words, I am not alone, because the Father is with me. And he promises in John 14, verse 18, I will not leave you comfortless, I will come to you. In those rainforest days, I proved that to be true. God did too, and so can you. And that's it today from the two-tip lady who loves to help make your life more simple and happy. It's been a pleasure bringing you this program here on 3ABN Australia Radio.